Hi, I'm Kelsey Zeiser. Welcome to What's the Story, a short podcast from Light Reading, where we take a step back from the most significant topics in telecom to tell you the latest news, how we got here, what it all means, and what to expect next. Today, I'm talking with Ian Morris about challenges to the open RAN supply chain, and also why Parallel Wireless has a different take on those challenges than some other industry players. We also discuss how some geopolitical developments could impact the semiconductor supply chain. Hi, Ian. Thanks for joining me on What's the Story? Hi, Kelsey. How are you doing? Good. Uh, So you've written a little bit about um, some supply chain issues um, this week and and specifically around Open RAN. Can you give us an update on on what's going on there? Yeah, I can. I mean, it's um, it's a pretty hot topic, I think, supply chains generally at the moment, Um, not just in telecom, but, um, you know, energy markets and all sorts of things. Everybody's a lot more concerned in today's troubled world i guess about where things are coming from and if they have redundancy in the, in the you know in, in the supply chain if they have alternatives and and i think it's been a really big issue in the telecom sector obviously right sort of back to the early trump years i think you know when we had actions against chinese vendors zte first and then huawei um and you know you look at the alternatives and you've really only got two big ones in the market ericsson and nokia and that started this whole sort of conversation about how to get other options there and how to ensure that you might have, you know, even a local source of supply in future, which is kind of where Open RAN comes in. You know, Open RAN for people who aren't that familiar with it is really just a set of interfaces that allow you to mix and match um, components, I guess, and software from different companies. But the idea is that because you don't need an end-to-end portfolio, it's a lot easier then for smaller companies and specialists to come into the mix and kind of compete. So um, so it's had a lot of momentum, I think. It's something that started out really as kind of a cost-saving exercise, really, and, and a more innovative way maybe to build networks has suddenly had this, this push, really, from geopolitics. Um, and there's a bit of... I know there's a bit of industry concern. I mean, why I wrote about it this week was... Um, Everybody will have noticed that one of the most prominent open RAN companies in the US, Parallel Wireless, a software company, has obviously had some problems recently. They've had to let go of a lot of their staff. You know, it depends on what reports you read, how many have gone. But there are some saying it's up to 80%, which is, you know, sounds pretty disastrous, really, for a company to lose that many. But I've, I've had a little bit of back and forth with um, the CEO, Steve Papa, over email. And one of the things he he did say on that was that some of the... US actions against, you know, Huawei and against China um, have actually had a sort of negative impact on the, you know, on the open RAN supply chain, you know, specifically when it comes to trying to access sort of Chinese radios and, and I guess some of the components that you, you might need for that. And, it, and it's kind of curious in a way, because if you, if you said this to somebody on the US policymaking side, he's quite excited about open RAN as a way of kind of spurring US innovation, they'd probably be horrified to hear that we need Chinese radios or that we're somehow dependent on, you know, Chinese. Right. Yeah. So I just thought it was a cute. Yeah, I think a very, that's the opposite of what they were hoping for. <laughs> completely, completely. And I, and I suppose it just goes to show how difficult it is to bring these things about, you know, how inter- mm-hmm. interlinked the, you know, the supply chains are, you know, to try and disentangle these these systems that have these interlinked supply chains where we've relied on China for for certain things and they've relied on us for other things. And 
it's all very, very complicated and, and kind of messy, but works well because it's just sort of evolved. To try mm. and just sort of raise that apart just sounds like, you know, a really difficult thing to do and something that's probably going to carry quite a big economic cost. I would say, though, that, you know, I went to a few other companies, some of the companies that compete against Parallel Wireless. You have Mavenir, Mavenir being one of them. There's another company called JMA Wireless that you're, you've probably heard of. Um, there's an Irish maker of radio units called Benetel. And they, they didn't share Steve Papa's opinion. They, they seemed to feel that things weren't, certainly from a kind of restrictions point of view and sanctions uh, you know, aimed at Chinese companies, they were saying they'd not really seen any impact. Um, you know, JMA Wireless pointed out that it's now got this factory in, I think, in New York State where it's based, that's making making gear for the US market. And, you know, Mavenir's taken great efforts, I think, to try and get more into the hardware space. It started out very much as a software company, but then they now have this lineup of radios under this open beam brand, I think it is, that they're, you know, they're, they're kind of developing themselves. And, and and not apparently very reliant on Chinese components to do it. So most of the stuff they get comes from on the on the sort of chip side. It would come from South Korea or Taiwan, which isn't surprising. That's where the, the kind of big foundries are. Um, and it's it's only really the sort of passive subcomponents where they sort of see any reliance on China. But even when it comes to radio units, I think they're using, you know, they're trying to use either Taiwanese or or Korean manufacturers. I mean, I mean, two that spring to mind would be. MTI, I think, is is a Taiwanese one, and there's KMW on the Korean side. So you do, you do have non Chinese options, and it, and it's kind of interesting getting the perspective of the big, you know, the really big kit vendors on this as well, Nokia and Ericsson, which aren't really linked with Open RAN. You know, I mean, I mean, for them, it's kind of a risk, but they've certainly had um, heavy, heavy involvement in China. You know, as multinational companies, they have facilities there. They employ thousands of people there. They sell some products there. But they've both obviously taken some steps to try and have diversification. I think a lot of this has come about as a result of the geopolitics. I spoke to um, a guy called Frederick Yedling, who I embarrassingly got his name, his first name wrong in an article, which uh, <laughs> this week. Um, it happens. <laughs> yeah. But Frederick Yedling's the head of networks for Ericsson. He was saying one, one of the things they did when um, – you know, they saw US actions against ZTE originally was to actually think a lot more about having dual supply chains, you know, having a sort of dual ecosystem because of the were repercussions and there was kind of retaliation. They didn't want to be left in a situation where all of, all of a sudden we can't produce stuff, we can't manufacture, you know, we've lost an option for doing that because it was all in China. You know, and, and so quite similar to JMA Wireless, they now have this facility, I think it's in Louisville in, in Texas, where they... You know, all the stuff they sell to US operators now is is made at this factory, or, or certainly it's kind of going towards that. Um, and you mentioned there was also um, uh, off, offline where we're talking about um, Taiwan and, and the semiconductor um, supply chain there. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about what, what's going on there and what some of the geopolitical issues are around Taiwan? Yeah, it's, it's hot news at the moment because obviously the US has been, uh, Nancy Pelosi, US House Speaker, has been in, in Taiwan on a, a visit this week, which is very controversial because the US isn't supposed to visit Taiwan in an official capacity because it upsets China, which claims Taiwan is part of China. And it's, you know, it's, it's prompted sort of, um saber rattling by the chinese and military drills i think around the 
around the island of Taiwan, um, which is all a bit worrying. But it, it's relevant for, for technology and has been for a long time because of TSMC, which is, you know, this is one of these big foundries that Mavenir was clearly alluding to without mentioning by name, um, that has just this outsized role when it comes to semiconductor production. I think some of the estimates are that, you know, kind of 80, 70 or 80 percent of the really high end um, chips that you get for smartphones and, and some other equipment come from TSMC. So if you, if you think about um, the consequences of a Chinese, in, a potential Chinese invasion of, of TSMC and what it could mean for global supply chains and people being able to get hold of this equipment and TSMC being able to get the equipment that it needs in turn to make those components. A lot of that comes from European and Japanese and US firms. Um, it just it's quite worrying, really. You know, you look, you're looking at, at lots of things that we take for granted, just suddenly p- potentially not having a an easy source of supply anymore if that region gets caught up in a conflict. So, I think it, it's you know it's it, it wasn't the top line. You know, when it, when this got covered in you know mainstream news, the the Taiwan China sort of clash, I guess you can call it. Not a lot of people are talking about TSMC, but it has it is something that's kind of been there for. For several years now and i think this is a reason we see you know america with its chips act which got passed i think last week and europe trying to do something similar where you know they have more of the semiconductor production that's been done in asia brought back to you know brought back to sort of local shores mm-hmm. yeah um it seems like there would be some really potential far-reaching you know ramifications if um depending on what the the Chinese government decides to do there. Um, And, you know, it's got this, uh, like you've said, kind of this overarching theme of um, the Western's reliance on on Asian supply chain. And um, we've definitely got to try and figure that out. I I know. You you sort of hope that common sense prevails. Right. And, 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 you know, in in calmer moments, people realize that there's – a mutually beneficial um, mm-hmm. arrangement there on the trade side. But um, we seem to be getting to a point in the world where some of those economic considerations are now are now kind of, you know, second, a secondary consideration, it seems. You know, you look at the, the energy stuff that's happening in Europe with Russia, where, you know, Russia, you know, Europe's been very heavily dependent on natural gas from Russia. And all of a sudden we see, you know, we see Putin sort of restricting supplies and we've got this concern about Germany and, you know, cold winters where people can't even heat their homes because there are sort of, you know, energy restrictions on, on use. And it's quite scary. And I think you see, you sort of do see kind of a potential for a parallel in, in technology, maybe not quite as bad as that. You know, right. I don't think we're quite in that, in that same situation, but it certainly makes you think about, um, you know, where, where some of these things are coming from. Um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's one of those things I think will, We've written about it for a while now, and we'll probably probably continue to be writing about it and chatting about it for the next next two or three years to come. I think so. Yeah, it just seems like these supply chain issues are um, far-reaching and hitting really every area of the economy. So it'll be really interesting to um, continue to read your coverage on this. And um, thanks for giving us an update on what's going on right now, and look forward to talking more in the future. Great. Thanks, Kelsey. Talk soon. 
Thank you so much, Ian, for taking the time to talk today. And thank you to our amazing producer, Pierre Landrio, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for even more interviews and insights from the team. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.